morning, morning, Tuesday morning, the 30th of June, as promised, a bonus NTT20 pod, a review podcast of Monday night's League 2 playoff final, Northampton 4, Exeter 0. Northampton promoted to League 1, congratulations to the Cobblers and their fans, commiserations to Exeter City. I've got George Alec on the line and George, we're going to be getting our teeth into what was a, well, it was a pretty eventful night at a very empty Wembley Stadium. It was, but before we get into that, Ali, what is your favourite football chant taken from a song written and sung by a glamour model's (laughs) ex-husband? Whoa, mysterious curl. I want to play three, five, two. Yes, <laughs> it's the greatest. Well I mean, coined by Carlisle fans, we should shout them out because they'll have been watching with some envy, I think, as their former manager who took them to the cusp of League Two promotion but never got them over the line. Did so. I mean, that, is, that, that is his nickname, is Keith Cusp, because normally he takes teams to the cusp and can't get them over the line. But now he's finally. Got a promotion. Hey, so we're gonna have first a, ever promotion. We're gonna have a good chat about Keith Curl in just a second. Let's talk about the match itself uh, on the pod yesterday on the Monday pod. A short preview at the end, and I think with something like that, because it was only a few hours before kickoff, and that can age so quickly. <coughs> we were quite um, restricted in uh, in what we said and how we said it, but we both landed on the fact that we thought based on the semi-finals, the types of games that those two had had to play uh, and basically the form that it appeared them to be in that we thought Northampton would edge a cagey affair. I I think if you go back and listen to what I said, this is another example, Ali, of you not listening to me whilst I'm doing my thing. I said normally League 2 playoff finals are very cagey affairs, but I don't think this one is going to be because of the way that Northampton will come out of the blocks like they did against Cheltenham. So... You might have called this to be a cagey one, but I think, you know, I get enough stick when I get things wrong. I, I think I got this one pretty right. So did you mean specifically Northampton were going to win 4-0 or did you mean there'd be lots of chances for both sides? I meant, I said I thought Northampton would win and I didn't <laughs> think it would be cagey. So that is a tick tick as far as I'm concerned. But it was, I mean, it's amazing to look at their performance and it does kind of beg the question to those of us who have obviously seen a fair bit of Northampton throughout the season but not consistently for 90 minutes as to like what has happened because <laughs> they they haven't been this effective all season as shown by the fact that they only just squeaked into the playoffs um I don't think it's you know I was texting a friend of mine who's a, a Northampton fan um before the game yesterday and he sent me a text saying you know if the first leg cobbler show up we're going to get beat and if the second leg cobbler show up then we're going to win. And I was like, I don't think that's really fair. I think they were good in the first leg. They created enough chances to win the game, just came up against the Chutton keeper and Owen Evans who had the game of his life. They were obviously brilliant in the second leg and brilliant again last night. I stupidly didn't write down the stats, but I'm sure you probably got them somewhere up your sleeve in your notes about how many shots they had over the three games and how many shots on target because it was just an absolute masterclass from Curl and his team in working out how to... Uh, get the ball into dangerous areas effectively. And if that meant Charlie Good hitting the ball from inside their own half into the corners to force Exeter into defensive throw-ins, if that was to force the ball into the corners to try and force attacking throw-ins or corners, if that was getting the ball over the top into the corner for Morton to run onto, turning the the centre-backs, just consistently there was an understanding 
from the whole team as to like how we are going to a prevent Exeter from getting close to our goal and how we are b going to when we have the ball not hold on to it but just get it into areas where we can be effective and frankly you know we watch a lot of league two and league one football where quite often it can seem quite frustrating to watch teams not really being particularly effective at either end of the pitch and my biggest takeaway from yesterday was how easy they made they made it look they came up against an extra an extra side who have conceded the fewest goals in league two this season and they just carved them open time after time so it's 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 hard to remember a time where there's been a more deserving playoff winner. I think it's 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 interesting that there's always comments about that style of football being not aesthetically pleasing because and don't get me wrong as you've touched on there they did not play this way throughout the whole of the regular season. We're going to get into how the season panned out a bit later on. This Northampton side was not playing week in week out uh, in in the league 2 regular season. But I mean we've got a few mates who watched all of the games, semi-finals and final, and who before yesterday's game wanted Northampton to win because they had enjoyed watching them play so much against Cheltenham. They had enjoyed that style, specifically the intensity of it. And as you've mentioned, like the pure efficiency of it is entertaining in a way. I suppose the flip side is when it's not clicking, it, that is pretty grim stuff. But you can say the same about passing football. When passing football looks really nice, it's magnificent. When it's going wrong and and play, and teams are rusty, as we've seen uh, at various levels in the last two weeks, and they're not finding each other, and they're not on the same wavelengths, and they're not um, putting together passing combinations in the final third, that can be pretty frustrating and pretty ugly as well. So I thought that was interesting. Um, you mentioned Charlie Good there. I just love him. I just think he's so brilliant. And we'd, we'd put him in our League Two team of the season the basis of that pick was that he was, we reckon, the best individual defender uh, in League Two in terms of duels and in terms of just uh, phys- physical superiority. I probably hadn't appreciated that technically for this level, for a centre-back, he's brilliant. And in the position that mm. he played with that back three and McCormack sitting in front, who's by no means a, a long passer or a sprayer, like you can see how things could get pretty grim and pretty turgid if you can't progress the ball, and that's where Goods, that's where he was most important for me over over the playoff games. It became clear, and certainly last night, that actually he, he's pretty much their their main, as you've mentioned, progressive passer, the the the, the main uh, conductor for getting the ball from their own half into dangerous areas. We saw it uh, not just by the way with his long throws, which I love. Um, but you'll have noticed that the first goal came from a good long throw, which was headed to the edge of the box, and a brilliant dummy from from Rory Watson opened up a space for a left foot shot, which deflected in. So uh, a moment of quality after 10 minutes with the dummy, a bit of fortune about it, they were ahead. The second goal from Callum Morton was a Charlie Good set piece, well delivered. The first header was won by Wharton. The second header was won by Turnbull, the other two centre-backs, and, and then Morton was sniffing around, sort of Lineker-esque, to stab it in that's not my line someone tweeted it specifically to say that felt very Lineker which I loved uh, in in the the third goal from Hoskins nothing to do with with good uh, sadly that was Morton being a nuisance Marshall being smart squaring it and Hoskins tucking it in with 10 minutes to go extra down to 10 men already at this stage and then at the end it was a Charlie Good trebuchet throw as well Harry Smith won the first header and William stabbed it in and and He's just constantly there when you talk about this Northampton side, not just defensively. Um, on the flip side, you know, com- huge commiserations to Exeter's fans. It, it actually makes me feel a bit sick because 
losing a playoff final must be, if not the worst thing, a very close second to relegation that you can experience as a EFL fan, I would suggest. And to have that feeling three times in four years. I mean, I don't know whether last night would have felt less gutting because they weren't there in their thousands and they they hadn't made the trip and and maybe because of that the sense of anticipation and that knife edge of agony and XT was maybe slightly reduced I don't know but I mean we have to make sure that we're not being too harsh here and understanding the three-month layoff the two and a half weeks training you know the difficulty of the current situation but they must be so disappointed with that extra performance especially against a Northampton performance that was everything that Exeter's performance was not. I would say, and I might I might be wrong here, but coming at it from my opinion, you know, as a supporter of a team who are in these very weird playoffs, is I would say the manner of defeat and the way that they lost would kind of make it a bit easier because there's a difficulty here with Exeter being a side who, when the full-time whistle blew on that Saturday... In the beginning of March, the manager, the players and the fans all had hopes of automatic promotion and will feel like their chance to go up automatically was taken away from them there. So losing on penalties or losing a tightly contested game, you'd have always felt a kind of sense of injustice. Whereas I don't think any Exeter fan could come away from yesterday's game from watching it on their sofa and be like, that is unfair. Mm. We deserve that more than them because... It was very obvious. They both had, you know, a week to prepare for the game. They knew it was a playoff final and there was one team who quite clearly deserved the promotion more. And that's that's not going to make it more easier to take given that it's three defeats in four years. Um, but I just think that, that there is a flashpoint here where, for example, if Wickham, if, you know, Oxford or, you know, because Wickham were outside the playoffs at the time, you could argue that if Wickham win the semis on penalties and win the final on penalties, the other clubs there might feel a little bit put out because of the nature of um, of the way that the, the league's ended. Whereas I think in this circumstance, it's it must be very hard. I would be happy to, to contest any Exeter fans who think that it's unfair that Northampton get their promotion because of the way that they were so dominant in the in the three playoff games. Mm. I don't I from what I've seen there's been no no suggestion of that. Um it, it's tough to take. The the Blackpool final in twenty seventeen, they went behind after three minutes. It was just one brilliant bit of play from Cullen and finished off by Potts. Um, they did get back level and then Cullen scored after an hour and they lost that one. The Coventry final in twenty eighteen three screamers ultimately from from the Coventry players Willis do you remember the centre-back coming up with an absolute banger mm. just after halftime Shipley five minutes later as we now know is something of a of a calling card for Shipley arrowing one into the bottom corner and then Grimmer the right back cutting in and curling in with his left foot uh, you've got to feel pretty bad for the fans um, let's talk a bit more about some of Northampton's stars and I think probably starting with with Callum Norton who in terms of uh, hypothetical stock his has risen. <laughs> His has risen more than probably anyone else since uh, since the return of football. Uh, what an what an unbelievable few weeks for the youngster on loan from West Brom. What did you think of his performance yesterday? Did he back up the hype that he was getting beforehand? I thought he was better. Yeah, I thought I thought he was. You know, he took his chance very well, and and that was a very small part of it. But it was his the way that he ran the channels 
and his intelligence on the ball once he got there was so impressive as well. There was one incident in, I think, the first half where he kind of got the ball on the right-hand side, cut inside into the box and played a layoff inside to, I think it was Hoskins, um, who had a shot blocked. But again, it would just show the bit of composure on the ball and eye for a pass as well. He paid his part for the fourth goal as well, giving the ball to Marshall before kind of hanging back before it was squared. Third, the third goal, third sorry. Third goal, but yeah. Before it was squared to, um, to Hoskins. And even... You know, the one instant in the game where you could question what he did, which was at 2-0 when he was, you know, he timed his run perfectly behind the extra, extra defence, got on the ball, probably should have squared it. But it was it was a really good bad finish, if that makes sense, <laughs> where he, he managed to slot it between the keeper's legs from, like, very deftly. Uh, and it kind of was one of those where it just cards wide of the post but mm. it was not a bad effort in in that sense i think there's there's so many um facets to his game that make him impressive because he's not he reminds me a little bit not you know annoying to always go back to oxford but he reminds me a bit of, of james constable in that he has both the physicality and the willingness and the running you know he's just so full of running to make himself a pest but those players, I mean, at least at League Two level or League One level, don't normally have the technical ability and the kind of nous on the pitch to make them a a goal scoring threat, and and more than that, like a creative threat as well. So, you know, he's he's a player who hasn't played much um, first team football, at least not in the in the EFL. You know, he he arrived in January, having played for for Braintree last season, um, and there is, you know, there's I, I think there's going to be a long queue of clubs hoping to to take him um, for for next season, both probably permanently and on loan. So it's going to be difficult for for Northampton fans. I think it's going to be yeah a tough couple of you know, few weeks waiting to see if they can land their man again because there's yeah. certainly going to be competition. Eight goals in twelve games since joining, and they really needed that. No one actually made it into double figures for Northampton this season. You ask about what changed or how this Northampton developed uh, to, to, to the point of performing like this in the playoffs compared to most of the regular season. I mean, Morton's explosion onto the scene for them has got to be a huge part of that. He, it was only really mid-February when he, when he started to, to truly perform. They only had five games um, until football finished after that. But they didn't have someone like him, and it made them much more than a, a two-dimensional attacking threat. Um, I want to shout out Verdane Oliver, his strike partner here as well. Oliver, previously at Morecambe, has always been known, pigeonholed if you will, as big target man, um, very effective physically and aerially on his day, but doesn't have a goal scorer's instinct, and therefore maybe that's not really who you want in your team. Whether by luck or by design, Keith Curl has got a role in this team for Oliver and crucially a partner in Morton that allows Oliver to focus on or utilise what is a specialist skill, what, you know, something that at this level he is elite at, which is aerial duels, essentially. And instead of focusing on what he doesn't have outside of that, making the most of that, the duo is perfect for this level. We saw that. In the final, we saw that in the semi-final. They cause you basically every conundrum that you don't want to have as a as a defence at League Two level. And throughout the season, Exeter were a pretty solid defensive team. But it was so clear that 
with Oliver's physicality, and you look if you look at on who scored at his stats last night in terms of aerial duels, I mean, he dominated all three of Exeter's defenders, whoever they tried to put up against him. Um, but because because of that, you can't defend deep. You can't you can't you can't play a low block because he's either going to win the first ball, which was the issue for so many of the goals for Exeter, and if he doesn't, well, the second ball, the loose ball is taking place in your final third. And as we saw in the first goal, you've got someone like Watson and Hoskins buzzing around waiting to win that as well. But you can't defend high either because an even bigger threat, arguably, is Morton's pace in behind. We saw him for the third goal, was it? Or, yeah, the third goal. Ball over the top. Morton was quicker than the defender. He was strong enough to get in front and hold the defender off. He ended up actually losing the ball and then winning it back and being a nuisance. It just caused X to so many problems. So, you know, as... Clearly, Morton gets the praise for scoring the goals. He should do that. But, uh, you know, it was a partnership. And, and I, I just like I like seeing someone like Oliver, who so many people would have had this image in their head of him. And to some extent, probably quite a negative image. You know, can't score the goals to be part of a good League Two team. Well, now he's going to be most likely a League One player unless Curl can find someone else to do that job. Um, but I suppose it is a bit of an issue for them going forward. Morton, if he doesn't, if he doesn't get a loan back at Cobblers next season, that's going to be a big gap to fill. Let's be clear, this is the the seventh best team in League Two. And without Morton, they were no better than that. And they had a big issue in terms of scoring goals. That was what was holding them back in being a a great team at this level. So to move up to League One, that's something that they're going to have to really look at. And buying buying a striker like Morton is not going to be difficult if he doesn't extend. Where do you think he, where would you like to see him end up? If not, cobblers because i think in, in terms of a, a, a pleasant storyline it would be lovely to see him back and thriving uh, and and helping cobblers next season in league one but as you mentioned there's going to be a ton of interest yeah tricky one um i can think of one league one club i wouldn't mind him at but um it's i, I think it's very unlikely that he'll be at west brom next season despite the impact he's made i think sometimes it's easy to get caught up in loan players form in league one and league two um you know, another West Brom player. I remember when Kemar Roof came to Oxford on loan for, for the second half of the season, scored loads of goals, and we were convinced there was no chance we could, we could sign him. And lo and behold, weirdly, um, Premier League West Brom didn't want Kemar Roof, <laughs> you know, because it's quite a big step up. And that's the case here with Morton, um, is that next season, one of two things is going to happen with West Brom. They are either going to get promoted and bring a Premier League side next season, in which case he will not be needed. Or they are going to throw away a ridiculously strong position and be in the championship again next season. And when you have Harry Robson Carnu, Charlie Austin, Kenneth Sahor, I, I just don't really think that a Slavin Village managed side is going to suddenly turn to a twenty year old with twelve games worth of, of EFL experience as the as the saviour. Um and if as uh you mentioned Steve Madeley's piece in The Athletic saying that all Morton do, wants to do is play football. I think it's very unlikely that he'll be at West Brom next season. What we could see happen is he could sign a new contract and then be loaned out again um, with a year left to go. Um, I think Sunderland would be a an interesting proposition for him because we know I mean, there are similarities between the way that, that Keith Curls, Northampton play and Phil Parkinson's um, sides previously have played. And we've seen, you know, Lafferty has been let go, um, unsurprisingly, at the end of his um, the end of of his short term contract. Um, but I think 
it's that mold of striker, somebody who can carry themselves up top whilst also being more of a, a technical presence as well. So that would be, yeah, I, I think that there's a fair chance that a, a board member of uh, of Sunderland's listening at the moment. So I shouldn't be saying this too much, but yeah, I think I think that um, that would be quite a nice fit, and, and it would fit the 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 model, I guess, that they are now trying to instigate at the club. I wouldn't be that surprised to see Plymouth as as front runners, Plymouth Argyle. Um, Ryan Lowe was was on punditry duty on Sky Sports last night and he was effusive in his praise and it didn't escape me that as impressive as Plymouth's promotion was this season the one thing that could have made them even better and, and you know was probably holding them back from being true title challengers was the two up top they couldn't necessarily quite land on a, a partnership that worked or one consistently good goal scorer at the level Morton is from Devon and this is where I start clutching at straws slightly uh, <laughs> he was born in Torquay he came through at Yeovil Town uh, he's I got... thought you were going to do another chart then he was born in Torquay <laughs> he was born in Torquay but he was made he scores at Wembley in the Royal Navy um, he was uh, he was born in Torquay came through at Yeovil <laughs> wouldn't it be nice for him to spend a year towards home um, at living with mum and dad, working hard and scoring goals in League One for Ryan Lowe's team. Um, uh, but let's not let's not sort of pimp him out any any longer because uh, this is really dear f- himself to the fans <laughs> further as well. I want this to be a, a positive listen for the for the Cobblers fans. Um, I also want to shout out Turnbull and Wharton because Good gets or Good. I still can't work out whether it's Good or Good. He gets so much praise and therefore they might get less than they deserve. The other centre-backs, they were magnificent. I can't really give too much credit for Arnold in goal because he only had one shot on target to save. Harriman, the left wing-back, deserves a lot of credit. Randall Williams, I was surprised to see on who scored. He actually had the second most touches in the whole game, Randall Williams. Um, Mm. Harriman, the left-back, did a fantastic job harrying him. Um, Second most touches on the pitch for Williams. But Harriman made five tackles, only got dribbled past once. Um, you know he's he's a right back technically, so playing out of position on the other side and doing a great job. Um, I guess because he's right footed and Randall Williams is left footed, they often say it. it you you want to defend with your stronger foot, don't you? So if Williams is wanting to come inside, maybe that was part of the reason why Harriman was on the left side to to sort of defend with his stronger right foot as uh, as Williams came inside. He was brilliant, and McCormack as well, who sits in front of the back five who gives him an extra layer of protection, clear leadership skills, and it's his fifth promotion. He's promoted with Swindon in 2011-12, with Brentford in 13-14, twice with Luton in 18-19, three in a row. He's a very, very popular uh, and 36-year-old EFL footballer. I wonder if we'll see him in League One next season. Uh, George, the first ever promotion for Keith Curl. And, you know, there's been times where we've been fairly disparaging. But you can't say he hasn't served his time in League One. And his, a, a week know, ago, his his contract is up to date. Did you know that his contract is really? actually up? I mean, I'm, well, I'm, I mean, he he says he wants a Premier League job, so it's probably perfect for him. He's probably on the phone now to um, you know the lads at Liverpool, seeing if Klopp is off. But yeah, so I, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't, I shouldn't do that because it's a, it's a, you know, you've got to give him immense credit for for this. And I texted you after the final whistle, being like. It must be a hell of a feeling being a footballer manager for 16 years, having never finished a season, getting promoted, and finally just having that like, yes, I've 
done it. I've taken a club up. Um, well, I was going to point assume, out. You assume it won't be long until until he gets a new contract. I was going to point out that Carlisle, 2016-17, January, late January, they were in the automatic promotion places. They'd started the season really strong. And Charlie White, you may remember, was on fire. He'd scored 14 goals already by mid-Jan. And he left to join Bradford. They, they Essentially, they hadn't really sorted his contract situation. In the end, they kind of needed to cash in because of that. And he left for Bradford and they tumbled downwards and lost in that amazing playoff semi-final uh, against Exeter, I believe. And uh, it's interesting. There are Carlisle fans, including one that we know who we've worked with, um, who think that, I should shout him out, John, who thinks that had Charlie White stayed, <laughs> had Charlie White stayed, uh, we, we wouldn't be talking about Keith Curl as Northampton manager getting his first ever promotion because Carlisle were in a very good position there. Um, I think it's interesting that the chant is mysterious curl. I want to play three, five, two very much the formation here, but I was looking on Y scout and maybe this explains why they started so slowly. They were playing four, two, three, one until mid October this season. That doesn't fit into the chant. <laughs> doesn't have, doesn't have the same ring to it. Does it? They were 17th in mid October, Northampton, uh, and they were playing 4-2-3-1. They switched. It's a bit like Coventry, whose formation change seems to have been the catalyst for their promotion almost. They switched and then went on a run of 11 wins, four draws and two defeats. Um, they actually lost five of their last seven games before the lockdown, which is kind of interesting. And as you can imagine, because of that, it's the sort of thing we've talked about many times before with Tony Pulis especially, is that when you're losing games and you're playing that style, the fans turn a lot quicker than when you're losing games and you're and you're not lumping it long. I saw a few tweets from Northampton fans last night when I searched for curl contract on Twitter, basically saying like, there's a lot of people saying the same thing, which is, I've been a very vocal, um, I've been very against Keith Curl's style. I've slagged him off a lot, got to hold my hands up. What an amazing few weeks, give him a new contract type thing. So clearly the, the fan base weren't always enamored by him as well. How do you think they might get on in, in League One next season? The good news is we're pretty confident that League Two to League One is the least hard step up in terms of promotion, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy necessarily. Yeah, I wouldn't be overly optimistic about them being a side who can really push on. And, and even though you are right to say that it's the easiest step up, we've seen some sides in the last couple of years who we thought were very good League Two sides struggle to make a big impact in League One, looking at you specifically, MK Dons here, but um, a couple of other ones as well. And often, as we've also seen, the managers who take these clubs up, it's, you know, the good work they did in getting them there is forgotten pretty quickly. And you have to make a quick start, uh, especially given, you know, the the, the curl and Northampton relationship's quite a strange one given that he as you just mentioned wasn't particularly popular with the fans the style of football wasn't particularly popular with the fans either at the end of the day the people who don't like curl will always be able to point back to the fact that they actually they only finished seventh so he's gonna have to make a quick start if he is their manager next season i, I don't think he's gonna be blessed with plenty of time to get it right mm. um but the, the key thing will be you know certain players you know morton has obviously made a big impact Good, I'm sure, will be subject to some interest um, from League One clubs, I'd have thought as well. So it'll be interesting to see who they retain. But in, as you know, and given the the nature of the way they played, both against Cheltenham and Northampton, 
I think it'd be very, very hard to sustain that over a long period of time. It's kind of perfect for the playoffs, especially like an isolated playoff campaign in the middle of um, in the middle of a time where there hasn't been any football. So, yeah, not overly positive. But if they can play like they did yesterday and last weekend consistently, then teams are going to hate playing against them. I'm interested to see what this extra side look like to start next season in League Two. Um, there's an interesting factor this summer relating to Mr. Ollie Watkins. Exeter have a sell-on clause for Watkins. I don't know, and it would be wrong for me to comment on exactly what percentage, normally between 10 and 25, isn't it? I don't know exactly what it is. But if we expect Watkins to be signed by a Premier League club, which we probably do, for looking at recent Brentford sales, taking into account a bit of coronavirus transfer market reduction, still a pretty hefty fee. That is going to put Exeter in, in a strong financial position, which they otherwise probably wouldn't be, that they're not a rich club in League Two terms. Randall Williams will almost certainly have a lot of interest from clubs higher up in League Two, maybe even in the Championship. They've got an England under-16 international called Ben Christine, who made an appearance this season, age 15, I don't know if we might see some of him, but I really hope we do because he's a bit like Bellingham. He's been attracting interest from your Liverpools and your Man Cities, but so far he's managed to stay at Exeter. When you consider they've brought through Ampadu, Watkins, this lad playing for England under-16s, and they've also got a group of players, Jack Sparks, Archie Collins, Matt Jay, who have been contributors to this side, but not key players. And... It might not be next season, but they will be another year older. And look at a club like Crew, who have managed to put together a group of players through the Youth Academy, who know each other well, who play the Crew way. Could that group of players start coming to the fore next season? Could they seize control? If so, they're all quite technical players from what I can see. I'd like to see Exeter evolve a little bit more and move towards the, the style of play or the type of teams that the top three this season were, Swindon, Crew, Plymouth, I'd like to see them try and be a bit more technical, try and be a bit more imaginative in possession. Um, I suppose the risk with that and with bringing through smaller, younger technical players, maybe you lose a, a bit of that defensive solidity, which was a feature of their play all season. But, it, you know, it's certainly not doom and gloom for me for Exeter next season. But, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that they will definitely be up there. I, I'm not ready yet to to start uh, previewing the League Two season. So um, it, it has finished, though, the first of the EFL divisions to to officially finish. Uh, congratulations to Northampton Town. Before the semi-final against Cheltenham, first leg, we thought Cheltenham would win. Before the second leg, we definitely thought Cheltenham would win. Uh, but Northampton are the team who will be playing League One football next season. And we wish them all the best and commiserations to Exeter once more. Hope you've enjoyed listening to this uh, League Two playoff final review podcast. George, it's now over to League One. First legs on Friday night. I don't know how and when we're going to get a preview in, but we will certainly be talking plenty about your yellows against Pompey, about Fleetwood and Wickham uh, and all of the championship action, which is cascading down all around us at the moment as well.